All right, welcome into Hour 2. It is Sportsnet Today, live here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Logan Gordon along with you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. For our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement. You visit dlbasementsystems.com. Hour one in the books. Took a look at the Jake Sanderson contract with the Ottawa Senators, an eight-year extension for the rookie D-man. And headed all things NFL as week one is officially here with the Chiefs and the Lions kicking things off tonight for Thursday Night Football. Sean Merriman, former all-pro NFL linebacker for the Chargers and the Bills. He joined us in hour one as well. That'll be up on the podcast shortly. Google, Amazon, Spotify, or find it on your favorite pod catcher. We're alongside our dubious producers this afternoon, Cam and Taylor. And very happy to kick off hour two with our Thursday regular. You know them, you love them. MLB Network, NHL Network, the Cinephile Podcast. It's my friend and yours, Adnan Verk. Mr. Verk, how are we, sir? Logo, I'm doing great, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. Thanks for joining us, as always. Uh, excitement level for the NFL kicking off tonight. Where are we on a 1-10 to 10 scale, Verk? Oh, man, I'm a 10. You know, it's funny. We always get – I love the summer like everybody, and I love the summer sports more than others because baseball is my favorite. You know how much I love tennis, so I adore yep. watching the Wimbledon the final week of June and first week of July. But I like everybody. Once we get to about August 19th, I go, okay, I've had enough. As much as I love summer, I go, okay, we've been to the beach, check, Jersey Shore, been to baseball games, yep, check, barbecues, okay, good. I like, the, I like it to cool down now, and I like to watch some football. So once we get, once we roll past Labor Day, I go, all right, now, now we're getting the tingles. Yes. And I can't wait to watch tonight. It is, um, I don't know how hot it is in Calgary right now, but God, we're having a heat wave. It's been a very mild summer here in Jersey, very nice, but these last few days, and I'm going to have to go Fahrenheit. I don't want to offend Canadians, but it's <laughs> 95 degrees. Ooh. With the Humidex, it's 100 degrees. So that's what, plus 36? Like, it's crazy. Wow. So it, it feels atypical. I like I like it when it's, you know, 75 and sunny. I like a good plus 21, like most people. And that's when it feels more like football weather. But um, hopefully the weather will cool down. Then once you get that fall chill in the air, that means football is right here for us. And I think tonight's going to be fun. Good matchup, obviously. Anytime you can watch Mahomes. Although this Kelsey injury, I mean, God, it did to suffer an injury before the first game of the year. Uh, that's got to be awfully frustrating. But I can't wait, man. When football is back, life's better. Yeah, I was saying to Steinberg, I don't know if this is peak sports viewing time, but it's it's up there for me because especially this year in baseball, we've got some great runs for the playoffs and the wild card spots. Uh, football, we've got CFL football here. We just passed Labor Day. That's a key moment for CFL fans. NFL's kicking off, and we are – counting down the days here in Calgary towards training camps in the NHL. Like we're starting to, to ramp it up again. And like you, you probably love the weather in Calgary. It's been, we're starting to get a little bit more of those fall temperatures. The leaves have changed. We're definitely transitioning into the fall portion of the schedule here. Yeah. To your point about peak sports to me, this is like, you know, I have a friend of mine who always loves spring and I go, "Eh, I more prefer summer. He goes, no, obviously because summer is the best season. We all know, but spring is good because it's good, and it's about to get even better. So September, to me, on the sports calendar is good, and it's about to get even better. As you said, you got CFL. Hockey's about to start. Football is just starting. Baseball pennant races. But October is the best. It's crazy. you got playoff baseball. It's never better. You have NFL football in full swing. 
you have hockey beginning, and a, you know an early season can't make a team, but it can certainly break a team. And then you got now basketball starts late October. Like I yep. prefer basketball to end as baseball does because obviously my duties are so focused on baseball. But you like October 29th, right? You'll get some basketball, a couple of games in there at the end. And I just said CFL playoffs are going on as well. So October is always my favorite playoff month. April we can make a case for because of NHL and NBA playoffs uh, and baseball beginning, but no NFL. So that to me is the weakness. I think October is the best, but you're right. September still feels pretty good too. Okay, I brought this up uh, in hour one. We had Sean Merriman, the former Chargers linebacker, join us to talk some NFL. He's buying in on what the Detroit Lions are building. Are you uh, in the same boat, Adnan? I feel like my entire life, as long as I can remember, the Detroit Lions have been awful. They've been a joke. The only positive thing they ever had was was Calvin Johnson. Uh, Megatron was just this absolute stud of a wide receiver, and and even he didn't play an entire you know full 15, 20-year career. But it feels like they had a good end to last season. A lot of people buy in to, to knee-biting Dan Campbell. Are you in the same boat? Sean Merriman thinks <laughs> they got a legit chance of being a good team this year and walking into to Arrowhead and picking up a win tonight. Well, I always liked and respected Sean Merriman. When you mentioned his name prior to bringing him in, I said, oh, my God, I loved him with the Chargers. But I'm but not quite there yet. And maybe, shame on me, I'm just looking too much at the past and the lines as we're used to seeing. But I do like a good uh, knee chomper over there with Campbell, <laughs> and he's fired up. And obviously, they, they, they're going to score points. I think there's no question about that. And that division, especially that Aaron Rodgers gone right now, you can definitely make a case that the Lions can push some teams around there. You know, the Vikings are always underwhelming. I don't think the Bears are quite there yet. My brother's a huge Bears fan. I don't think Fields is uh, Jalen Hurts 2.0 as of yet. So I, I do think the Lions are the class of that division, which already feels unusual to me to say the Lions are going to be division champions. And who knows where they can go after that. But I, I, I'm not quite sold yet. But I, I love when bad teams finally get their moment, Logo. You, you finally get to reward long-suffering fan bases. That's why, to me, the baseball season has been so much fun because the Reds and the Diamondbacks and the Marlins, those are not teams used to winning even being in the playoff mix, and right now they are. So I, I, I hope the Lions can do it, man. There's a lot of great football fans in the Motor City. I believe it's one playoff series win since 1957, which is just yep. insane to think about. Yeah, it's been a long time coming for the Detroit Lions. We'll see what they can do. Uh, speaking of, of expectations, and, and you know, certainly not low expectations for the team that you cheer for, talk about the class of the division, man. I, I got to feel like the this is a weird feeling for you. It feels like the NFC is the Eagles to lose. I, I don't even – I can't even talk about a quarterback that I think is near the level of, of Jalen Hurts in the entire conference. Uh, the Eagles stacked up at the draft again they got to be Super Bowl contenders for a lot of people. How are you feeling about your Eagles heading into week one? Well, you're absolutely right that I'm not used to this position. And last year, all year, I felt fully confident because as the season unfolded, I kept looking, and I'm a big strength of schedule guy. And I kept saying to myself, we have the easiest schedule in football. And that's what made the end result so painful because I said, you have the easiest schedule in football. You played the Giants, we're not a real playoff team, let's be honest. You played the 49ers on a third-string quarterback. Like, all you got to do is win one game. Like, there's one game where you got to beat the Chiefs. you got to beat Mahomes. And if so, you'll be champions forever. And we couldn't do it because of the second half. It's even more painful when you have a first-half lead and then relinquish it and you let the other guy take over. So to your point, I'm not used to this feeling now because now I look at the schedule and the Eagle fan within me says, okay, we're going to have the hardest schedule in football right now. Now we are the hunted rather than the hunter. Now everyone knows how great Hurts is. He's not going to surprise anybody. And we do have some weaknesses in terms of defense and guys that we've lost. But then I tell myself to look at 
stop looking at that pessimism because look at the rest of the landscape. As you just said, who else is even close to the Eagles in the NFC? Now, because you have a tough schedule, you're not going to be as good. Okay, so 14-3 and three to 12-5. and five. That's fine. Let's say you don't get the number one seed. Okay, again, who's the great big team? It's still the Eagles. Niners are really good. Okay, if Brock Purdy can step up, love their defense. Shanahan's a great coach. Cowboys should be pretty good. Okay, if Dak steps up and Mike McCarthy stays out of the way. <laughs> but other than that, like, again, we already said the Lions could be division champions. Um, you know, in the West, in the past, you were like, oh, my God, the Cardinals. No, the Cardinals have fallen off big time. It's the Niners. Um, Seahawks, okay, good, not great. Like, Geno Smith going to be a pro bowler again. Like, other teams have more significant questions than Philadelphia. With Philadelphia, you just have to say, can Jalen Hurts stay healthy? Will he continue the progression in a year ago? Well, yeah, look at his wideouts. Like, he, he, of course he's going to be fine. Like, as long as you're throwing the ball to those guys, uh, with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown specifically, you'll be good. Running back, you lose Miles Sanders. They brought in other players. They have, like, a 300 monster there. And their offensive line and defensive line, which is the strength of their team, is still as stout as ever. They do miss Javon Hargrave, who was tremendous in the D-line. But then you add Jalen Carter through the draft. The Kobe Dean, the linebacker, should be pretty good. So uh, I feel really confident, man. I've, I've already looked at the schedule well in advance. I checked my TV guide. I've, <laughs> I've got uh, Eagles-Patriots this Sunday, 425. Week after that, we get the Monday Nighter. A week after that, I believe it's a Sunday Nighter. And then week four, I'm going to take two of my boys to go October 1st and check out the Commanders at the Eagles. I haven't been to see a game in Philly logo, I think almost 20 years. I, wow. 2004, I definitely remember going to the vet. I don't believe I've been to uh, the link. I've, I've been outside. I have, I have pictures of myself with the, uh, the statue of Doug Peterson and Nick Foles, which is my friend Michael Lombardi used to joke, only the Eagles have a statue of a backup quarterback. But I'm like, hey, whatever. It's still a cool statue. So, yeah, I can't wait, man. I, I will be at the link October 1st, and I've got tickets October 15th. A good friend of mine is a Jets season ticket holder. She said, you can have my ticket. So I'm going to check out Eagles, Jets, and the Meadowlands, which years ago you might have scoffed at. Now it's like, no, that's pretty good. Aaron Rodgers against the Eagles, pretty good. The Meadowlands, uh, one of, I want to say, three NFL stadiums that I've graced in my life. I went with my dad to New York uh, a couple years ago, and we got, uh, look, we got to see Peyton Manning throw, I think, five touchdown passes against the Raiders on Monday Night Football, we went to Denver. So it was only fair that we had a lesser one. I think like three or four years ago, we got to see Jags Jets at the Meadowlands. It was before Trevor Lawrence. It was before anybody good was playing for the Jets. It was a terrible football game. But at least it was cool to go see this giant stadium uh, in the middle of absolutely nowhere in New Jersey and uh, see how they do it there. It was a pretty cool experience. Meadowlands, one of the, the few NFL stadiums I've crossed off on my list. So MLB Network is in Secaucus, New Jersey, which is literally five minutes from Rutherford, New Jersey, and where you were in the Meadowlands. So if you and your dad ever take another trip to Giant Stadium, you'll have to come see me in the studio. I live 30 minutes from now. We'll have the Gordons at the house. It'll be fantastic. But you are right. It's in the middle of nowhere. Like Jersey, if you actually go a little north of the 17 to where I live, it's, you know why it's called the Garden State. Beautiful gardens, very nice areas. But where you were is what people think of when they think of Jersey. And, of course, our favorite show, The Sopranos, the opening. It's just the turnpike, right? Yep. The swamp. It's kind of you know, nasty. It's industrial. Um, so it's funny. It's, it's, when people think of Jersey, they think of Meadowlands, although it's completely atypical. And one last thing on the Meadowlands, just saw Springsteen play in the Meadowlands last Wednesday. I was just going to ask you about how the Jersey boss I, was. Yeah. Yeah, as an adopted New Jersey, and I've now been here four and a half years. I've, I've never seen Springsteen in concert. And I do like him a lot, so I thought I saw phenomenal. 73 years of age, and he played three hours. Now, me and my wow. buddy got here. My buddy flew in from Toronto. We missed the first song or two, I think. And after that, we were good. Face value, 100 bucks. I got him for 200 so not horrible. No yeah. more for the pair. 
And I said to my buddy, you fly in from Toronto, you cover your plane ticket, I'll cover the concert ticket, I'll get the chicken tenders, transportation, all right, deal. <laughs> and uh, it was phenomenal. Um, what was really notable is that just as the show's winding down, for the encore, it might be the greatest encore I've ever seen in my life. I don't know how you top this for an encore. He went Badlands, Born to Run, um, uh, 10th Avenue Freeze Out, Rosalita, Glory Ooh. Days, and Dancing in the Dark. Like, wow. Those are like six of his biggest hits. He just went one after another. It was <laughs> incredible. I, I don't think I've ever seen a better encore in my life. It was uh, for a 73-year-old man of that kind of energy. And, God, we dodged a bullet because the news came out today. Bruce is canceling the rest of his shows in September because of illness. Oh, uh, something to do with his stomach. So that, so that means he was ill, and I'm sure he's had it for a couple of weeks, but he battled through. He could not let down the good people of New Jersey. So he did three hours Wednesday, three hours Friday, three hours Sunday, Jeez. and now his body's telling him, hey, Bruce, take a seat. But the boss was badass. I love that. I love hearing about those those classic performers. I'm a big country music guy, so Garth Brooks has always been the top of my list. Oh, yeah. Me and some buddies went up the road to Edmonton. He did a stadium tour a couple summers ago and hit the outdoor stadium up in Edmonton in Commonwealth Stadium. And the the amount of energy, the entertaining that he goes into it. And it, you know what? Funny enough, you say the same thing about Springsteen for the encore. Uh, Brooks did a couple of songs of his own uh, for his encore, uh-huh. but he just went off on doing random hits from different. He did Piano Man and a bunch of other just random hit songs nice. that him and his band knew. And it was absolutely incredible. And the guy was dripping with sweat in an Edmonton summer oh. night afterwards. And I just thought, you know what? I, there's something about being an entertainer. And look, I love a guy that, you know, a Stapleton that can sit there and has this beautiful voice and, and strum a guitar for three hours. But there's something about a guy like Springsteen or Brooks, you know, getting up there and, and just performing for the people, right? It's Keith Stapleton, right? That's the country singer? Chris Stapleton. Chris, 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 Chris. The reason I mention is I don't know a lot about country, but Jake Peavy is from Mobile, Alabama. He's a huge music guy. Now, he's more rock and roll than country. But Dan O'Dowd, the former Rockies GM, mentioned it very casually as Jake, who also went to the Springsteen show, we're talking Bruce. O'Dowd dropped a little Chris Stapleton. Huh. And Peavy knows Stapleton and his crew and stuff. And I was like, oh, my God. So I don't know anything about Chris Stapleton except that he's a very big deal. Because Dan O'Dowd was like, oh, my God. He's like, if you like country music, he is as big as it gets. And as for Garth, my old roommate was a more of a country fan than me, although I do love Johnny Cash, and he got me big into Unanswered Prayers. That's my favorite Garth Brooks clip. That's a great song. A classic, no doubt. Uh, Ed Nenverk along with us, MLB Network, NHL Network, and, of course, uh, the Cinephile Podcast. Got to ask you about some baseball, man. We got some great races uh, in the wild card spot in both the AL and the NL, uh, and I want to go back to what you said a couple minutes ago. I love that in the NL we've got teams like Cincinnati and Arizona fighting for teams. I love – Look, don't get me wrong. We knew Atlanta would be good. We knew the Dodgers were going to be in this spot. But I don't know. Did anybody really expect Arizona or Cincinnati to be relevant when the calendar flipped over to September? I I don't think so. I like seeing some of these new teams in the mix, even if they don't make the playoffs. Oh, 100%. I I checked in with the bosses and said, I want to make sure I'm going to the World Series. They said, you are. I said, I'm thrilled. I haven't been to the World Series since 2014 when I was at ESPN. And I went twice when I was there. Once long ago, my buddy Cabby and I, we went to the World Series when we were back at Ryerson. We went to the Subway Series in 2000. So this is going to be my fourth World Series. And I was looking at the different matchups, and I said, man, I'd love to go to Baltimore. Speaking of a team that hasn't been in the World Series since 1983, hasn't been in the playoffs since 2016, Cameron Yards might be my favorite ballpark. And I said, oh, my God, Baltimore would be incredible. And then I was looking at the NL, and to your point, I said, okay, I haven't been to the new park in Atlanta. That'd be fun. I'm never going to quibble going to Los Angeles if it's Dodger Stadium. 
Philly, which is two hours from me, that park is going to be insane because, you know, Philly sports fans are great. And then I said, what I really want is the non-traditional markets that haven't been good lately. So I'm pulling as hard as anybody for the Reds. I want to go see Ellie De La Cruz in Cincinnati in October. <laughs> I want to see Arizona Diamondbacks in the World Series. I think it'd be awesome to see. I want to see the Cubs make a run. I want to get to Wrigley in October. So I'm with you that, that these teams that are really pushing right now, the Ryan's just saying, even the fact they're in the mix logo to me is notable because without the wall cards right now in the West, the Arizona Diamondbacks be 13 games back, Giants 15 games back, season's over. Now because of that wall card, it creates so much more excitement. And I don't think it's gotten to be too much. If I may say, in hockey and basketball, I don't like the fact more than half the teams make the playoffs. And I really hate the plan in basketball. Two-thirds of the teams make the playoffs. That's insane. Yeah. At least in baseball, it's 12 of 30. I go, okay, the regular season still means a lot when only a third of the teams make the playoffs and you still have excitement for those non-traditional markets. So I can't wait, man. I, I really hope those teams crash the party. I was looking. Philly's going to make it as the wild card, and I think the Cubs are pretty good at two. But I would love to see one of a Arizona or a the Reds or the Marlins sneak in. It would be really good to see. Uh, I know you do some hits with our sister stations across the country as well in Vancouver and Toronto. So I know you've been asked about the Blue Jays plenty. And I'm, I'm curious. I don't, we don't dive into them every single hit. But I, I'd love to get your feel on this team because there sure seems to be a lot of discourse around a team that's 14 games over the 500 mark. And I, I get the AL East is a, a very tough division with how Baltimore and how Tampa Bay have been the last couple of years, especially this year for Baltimore. But for Toronto to be in this spot and be in 14 games above 500 and still sort of on the precipice of not making the playoffs, how do you sort of read it from afar, Virk, as, as a guy that's not really in the same shoes as us that watch them every single day? Like, Do you get the sense that this is an underachieving ball club or do you get more of a feel that, hey, this is a good team, they're just fighting with other good teams in uh, you know, what should be a good playoff battle? I think it's the former. I think they're an underachieving team, but I do think there's enough time to prove that they really are a legit team. I think a lot of people, when they look at the Blue Jays overall, say, hey, this is the team we thought might win the American League East. Uh, they're definitely going to be in contention, perhaps for the World Series. And instead, they're battling for the last walker. You just didn't expect that. But, again, if they make the playoffs and they're facing the Twins, uh, which I think is the way it works, right? Third division with third wild card, yep. that they can make some, make some hay and things could turn around for them. So, I think right now, though, if you're a Blue Jays fan, you have to approach every game like a playoff game now. The Rangers, thank God for Toronto, have completely fallen apart. Their bullpen has imploded. Their starter are too short, and now they're missing some of their big bats. Um, it's really been catastrophic for them. Yesterday, to me, that, that's as good as a baseball game as you get on paper. Rangers, Astros in the playoff mix, Verlander, Scherzer, two future Hall of Famers, two teammates of the start this year, and Scherzer gets blown up. It was awful. He's been really good as a Ranger. He got roughed up, seven runs over three innings. Jose Abreu takes him deep. Brilliant are great once again. Texas now is a day off, and they're going to face the Oakland A's this weekend for three. The Jays got the Royals for three. And I kept saying the Jays in this soft part of their schedule over nine games, got to go seven and two. Give yourself a little breathing room. So right now they're four and two. Mm-hmm. I would have liked if they'd swept the A's. But regardless, let's say you sweep the Royals. You're seven and two, as I said, for that nine-game trip. Now, if you go two and a three, fine, six and three. But I feel like the Rangers will do good against the A's. Right now, the Jays have a half-game lead over Texas. Texas goes, you know, two or three. Jays go two or three. You're going into a pivotal four-game series next week, Jays and Rangers. And as you know, baseball is never better than when teams are going head-to-head. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. The Rangers are a sub-500 team on the road. They're 33-34. and 34. I mentioned their bullpen has really imploded. 
And you've got more people right now saying they're going to miss the playoffs than make it. So the good news for Toronto is you're facing a bullpen. It's 26th in baseball. Rangers bullpen's a five-ERA. They've given up 78 home runs, which is 29th in the game. But if you're the Jays, you don't want to back into the playoffs. You don't want to finish okay and go, well, we got to be because Texas stinks. Because that will go back to your point, which is that people think the Blue Jays are underachievers. No. You want to finish strong and say, you know what? We are a good team. Maybe we're not as good as we thought. Baltimore is better than we thought. Tampa Bay is better than we thought. But we're in the mix, and that's all that matters. And we're going to finish strong. And we're going to get Boba Shep back sooner rather than later. And the Jays, no one's going to do them any favors. Their last 19 games, starting Monday, all against teams of winning records. So no excuses. They're going to face the Rays. They're going to face the Yankees, who are playing much better baseball. They're going to face teams, and they're not very good within their own division. So if the Jays don't make the playoffs, it's nobody's fault but their own. They control their own destiny, as people say. Half game up at this point in the season. Do you think the perspective for the Toronto Blue Jays has changed when it comes to a guy like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and the kind of monster contract we all assumed he would sign based on this season where, look, he's still hitting, he's still got a very good average. He drives in a lot of runs, but for a guy that's batting third every single night in the lineup, I think he's fallen short of expectations, especially when you talk about those key moments and those key times where you need somebody to drive in a run. I think Vladdy's probably fallen short of that. Do you think if, if you're Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro in Toronto, you're you're kind of at least thinking a little bit harder about what that contract might look like if you do have to if you do want to go down the term of a, a long term mega deal with him? Without a doubt. I think if you'd asked me a year or two ago, especially after that monster twenty twenty one or twenty twenty, you were gonna say, Listen, man, Vlad is gonna get three hundred million dollars, period. He's gonna get Datis type money, he's gonna get Aaron Judge type money, he's your superstar and he is going to get taken care of. Instead, now, when you look at it, you say, huh, well, Vladdy's a good player. We can all agree on that, but he's a little bit underwhelming. He's kind of like the Blue Jays team collectively. They're good, but not great, and we're looking for great right now. I don't think he even has an 800 OPS. Like, he's hovering around that mark, and if you're a good player, it should be like 850, 870. Like, Judge, Otani, those guys are in the thousands. Machado, normally, Tatis, those guys are around 900. So, I think, overall, the contract that people thought Vlad would get, or maybe he thought he'd get, he's not going to get. Um, he's a free agent after next season. Or maybe it's two more years after that, I believe. Sorry, two more years. But I, I don't know. I think in the past, you would have said the Jays will get whatever he wants. He's worth it. But if you look at his overall numbers, you start to say to yourself, maybe he's more of a $200 million guy rather than 300 which, again, is a lot of money. He's still, you know, eight years for 200 rather than uh, 10 years for 300 or 320 mm-hmm. But I think he realizes maybe deep in his heart, he's going to play better baseball. I think the Blue Jays realize it as well. And it's not the worst thing in the world that number goes down. Maybe in this scenario, you can pay Bo for 250 and Vlad for 220 and somehow keep both. Maybe. I'm not sure. I'm not Rodgers. I'm not the one pulling the strings. Um, but I think he's going to play better baseball. And if the Jays don't make the playoffs, people are going to look back and say, some of their top players were underachieving offensively. Vlad Jr., Springer, Alejandro Kirk, Dalton Varsho. Those four guys got to be good down the stretch of these last few weeks. Uh, let's talk a little bit of movies as we close things out. Uh, latest edition of Cinephile came down yesterday, but I want to talk to you about uh, the episode going back to the 30th because uh, my dad's a big Denzel Washington fan, so we had to go see uh, The Equalizer as it came out. Third installment of the movie. Uh, we, we were going to love it anyways. We're big Denzel fans, but uh, I absolutely loved the setting in Sicily. What a, a visually striking uh, movie it was to see that. Italy is a, 
a bucket list place for me to go anyways, Virk, and it only exacerbated it watching that movie. But tell the people, you had a personal screening for uh, The Equalizer 3. How did it come out for a cinephile review? Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I was uh, interested in interviewing director Antoine Fuqua. So normally they send me the screeners, but in this case they couldn't do that, but they said, well, set up a screening for you. It's great. So they uh, 20, 25 minutes away from my home in New Jersey. I saw a 9 a.m. screening. The only time you see movies that early is if you're at a film festival. Yep. At Final Film Festival, Sundance, I've been. Those, you get like a 9 a.m. screening. So it was very cool to, uh, you know, just, just take off and go watch a movie like that by myself in the theater to myself, and it's a terrific movie. I think it's a great late summer enjoyment because it's got the feel of a blockbuster uh and obviously with denzel you're gonna get all the action scenes because he's such a good actor it's also got some gravitas to it some pedigree as the character of mccall is kind of looking back at his life and wondering if he's made the right decisions and questioning some of his decision making so i thought it was great man it gives you that action right out of the gate and especially the climax but i enjoyed that early 30 minutes 40 minutes the character development and i love talking to director antoine fuqua He's worked with Denzel tied for as many times as anybody else. The late Tony Scott directed him five times, and now Antoine Fuqua has directed him five times. And Fuqua is the one who directed him when he won Best Director, uh, Best Actor, excuse me, for Training Day. So he had some good stories in Cinephile, talking about working with Ethan Hawke and Denzel and uh, upcoming movies he's going to make, the Nali documentary for HBO as well. So I really enjoyed it. I'm sure you and your dad did as well. Yeah, it was a great movie. Uh, one of my favorites. And I always love big Training Day guy, so Antoine Fuqua always gets uh... – a big credit for me from from one of my favorites back in oh one I want to say oh one was training day, um when he yeah, was, uh, yeah, right. yeah. Long, long time ago now but still one of my uh, one of my all time favorites are we still in uh, summer movie lull is there anything on the horizon that uh, that catches your interest I know we kind of go from sometimes we go from summer movies into sort of the horror movie season with October right around the corner but is there anything you got your eyes on in the movie theaters the next couple of weeks. Uh, nothing too much yet. I saw my big fat Greek winning three is coming out. Shout out to Canadian Nia Vardalos. If I'm not mistaken, it's a Ryerson graduate, so I'm out of there, but I'm, I'm not going to be paying money to go see that. I just saw <laughs> Bottoms, which is a lesbian teen comedy, so I was not expecting that to pop up. But 95% for Bottoms on Rotten Tomatoes. So I said, I got to go see it, so I'll, I'll save my review for next week on Cinephile, but it was uh, kind of a uh, hearkening back to those movies of the 80s and 90s. These stupid comedies used to get all the time, and it's definitely got some, some funny moments and outrageous moments there. So you're right. We're, we're kind of slowly making that transition from summer movies to more of the, the fall movies and the awards bait, but we're not, not quite there yet. Not quite, but uh, it'll be here soon enough. We've got some NFL football uh, to help fill the void. Verk, appreciate the time as always, pal. Enjoy week one. Good luck for your Eagles against the Patriots. We'll chat with you again soon, pal. Always fun, Logo. I appreciate you, man. Talk soon. Take care. Ed and Verk joining us. On the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, you can find him on Twitter at Adnan S. Verk, covering MLB Network, soon again for the NHL Network. And, of course, if you're a movie nerd like myself, uh, you can find him on the Cinephile Podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast. We'll take a break, come back on the other side, close practice for the Calgary Stampeders. They're getting set for the Labor Day rematch against the Edmonton Elks on Saturday. Patrick Dumas has your stamps report. It's next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, into the final segment of the show today. It is Sportsnet today. Logan Gordon along with you. My ubiquitous producers, Cam and Taylor, are in the other room. Did you open up your dictionary for that one? We've been on some new, yeah, some new try descriptors some, for us. I'm going to try some new words to describe you. Beyond outstanding. outstanding. Been, 
mostly incorrect. So it doesn't hold true anymore. That's no. rude. I'm just saying there are other descriptors I can use, and I'm going to like ubiquitous. Yeah. All right. Get ready for it, team. Get the dictionary out. Get your thesaurus ready. Encyclopedia. Uh, hey, if you uh, happen to miss out on your first chance to get tickets to the Tim Hortons NHL Heritage Classic between the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers, you still have a chance to get some this Thursday, about uh, two and a half hours ago. A new block of tickets were released by the NHL. If you are interested in attending at Commonwealth Stadium, Sunday, October 29th, the Battle of Alberta outdoors for the 2023 NHL Heritage Classic, celebrating the 20-year anniversary of the league's first regular season outdoor game, which was also held in Edmonton in 2003, where the Habs Defeated the Oilers 4-3 in front of 57,000-plus fans. Well, you can go to ticketmaster.ca slash heritageclassic and perhaps get yourself some tickets, part of this new block just released today, this Thursday. So if you're listening live, you're catching on the pod, you're, man, should have got tickets. You missed out the first time. They have released new tickets this afternoon for you to purchase. Again, ticketmaster.ca slash heritage classic. Now, if you like to take a riskier route, I can also tell you that we have five pairs of tickets to give away here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It has been given to the big show with Russick and Rose the week of September 18th. So two weeks from now, starting on the 18th, one pair of tickets a day on the big show with Rustic and Rose. The guys are going to give away Heritage Classic tickets. We got five pairs of tickets to give away. So if you've missed out, maybe you just want to take a chance and try to win your way in. I have no idea what they're doing. I don't know if it's trivia, costume contest, singing contest. It could be anything. If you listen to the show, it, it goes in a lot of directions. But they will have an opportunity for you to win tickets starting September 18th. Tune in to the big show with Russick and Rose if you want to try to win your way in to the 2023 Tim Hortons Heritage Classic, the Battle of Alberta in Edmonton between the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers. Again, if you're looking to buy tickets, new tickets have been released this afternoon. Ticketmaster.ca slash Heritage Classic or... Be one of the lucky listeners who can win your way in starting September 18th with Russick and Rose on the big show. Speaking of Edmonton, speaking of Commonwealth Stadium, that is where the Labor Day rematch is going to take place this Saturday between the Stampeders and the Elks. Going back to Monday, Stampeders pull off a massive comeback win. 22 points scored in the fourth quarter. Jake Mayer, leads his team on a number of touchdown drives to steal a win away from their provincial rivals. Now we're getting set for the rematch. It's a triple header of action in the CFL on Saturday that ends at 5 o'clock when the Stamps and the Elks kick off their Labor Day rematch. The Stamps in preparation this week getting set for that Labor Day rematch 
Had a closed practice today, but preparations still well underway for Saturday's game to get you set for that matchup and to take a look in on what the Stampeders got up to on this Thursday. Here is your September 7th edition of the Stamps Report. This this is the Stamps Report with Patrick Duma. It's a short week for the Calgary Stampeders as they continue preparations for the Labor Day Classic rematch with their provincial rivals, the Edmonton Elks, on Saturday at Commonwealth Stadium. It's the little wrinkle in the CFL schedule where a couple of the Labor Day rivalries turn around and play a rematch the following week. It used to be that the Battle of El... It used to be that the Battle of Ontario between the Argonauts and Tiger Cats was a part of the rematch week, but now it's just the Bombers and Riders who will play in the Banjo Bowl and then the Stamps and Elks rematch in Edmonton. Both quarterback Jake Mayer and head coach and general manager Dave Dickinson provide insight on the challenges of seeing an opponent, the same opponent, just five days later. You got to fight. Yeah, you got to want it. And uh, you want to try to just carry any momentum that you've built, you know, four days prior into what you're walking into now. So... Yeah, I mean, they're going to know uh, they're going to know our stuff. We're going to know their stuff. So, yeah, it really is a battle of wills, in my opinion. And and then when you do get the opportunities to uh, to win your one-on-ones and make your plays, you have to. Um, and whoever does that usually wins the second one. It's tough. It is. I mean, we definitely tried a few things today, and I I didn't feel like we executed them very well. So maybe sometimes the rematch is just um, grit. Just just try to find something deep in you and battle and. Uh, hopefully it goes our way. Both echoing that it will be a battle as there's only so much a team can add to a playbook in this short of time to mix things up. So as Jake Mayer put it, it will be a battle of wills and winning your one-on-one matchups will go a long way in accomplishing what this club hopes to do on Saturday and that's win back-to-back games for just the first time all season. Scoring points definitely helps as well in winning games and if you can get above 30, there's a good chance that you're in that game. I asked Jake Mayer about what he's seen in the offense over the last couple of weeks and if it's starting to get those kinks ironed out. I just feel like we're playing more complete games, but there is still that little lull. Um, and we kind of can't really figure out when it comes or why it happens. Or We just kind of get in our own way and we get out of rhythm and we get out of sequence. And, um, and, uh, and it doesn't look good for us for you know, a handful of drives throughout a game. Um, but I think the difference is, is we're, we're snapping out of those funks quicker at this point in the year. And uh, you really saw that in the second half with, with how efficient we were able to play. So, yeah, I mean, we're playing more complete games at this point. But, man, it's like when you have your low quarters, which happen, like I don't want to act like, you know, we expect perfection. But, you know, when they do happen and you're still scoring 30-plus points, it just means like, man, like if you could just clean some of that stuff up, imagine what we can be, you know. So that's the encouraging part. Another ingredient to that recipe of winning back-to-back games over Edmonton will be containing and limiting the damage that Elks quarterback Trey Ford can do with his legs. Ford almost matched his passing yard total from Monday with 135 yards rushing on only 11 carries. Coach Dickinson on the challenge of stopping Trey Ford. Not the biggest guy in the world, so... If he does run around, you know, you got to hopefully be able to tackle him legally. Um, you know, he, he's got, you know, true 4-4 speed. I mean, he really does. And uh, tough as a quarterback because when you have the option to throw, it's different than a receiver or a returner where you're just trying to vice him all in there. Now he can throw the ball down the field. So 
big challenge. Um, we'll see what happens. Putting Trey Ford in long second downs could be a key on Saturday as, albeit a very wonderful start to his CFL career, especially one from a Canadian-trained quarterback, Snaps did a pretty good job in the passing game last week, limiting Ford to just 60% completion percentage, his lowest since uh, making his first start last year. And the lone passing touchdown was thrown by a receiver, Kyron Moore. But Trey Ford certainly providing a different challenge for CFL teams to figure out. And this team, as it stands right now, will be in a dogfight for that final playoff spot in the West Division, or at least a crossover spot in the East with the Ticats, Red Blacks, and Elks. Coach and GM Dave Dickinson on the fight he sees in the group right now. It'd be tough to believe that we're not ready to fight at this point in the season where we're at, and both teams, are, once again, I think we'll play very desperate, and meaning that hey, we kind of know where we're at. Um, the whole point was try to win at home and steal one on the road. So we got that opportunity. Let's see what happens. Calgary four points back of the Riders for third in the West, and that season series will be decided later on in October at McMahon Stadium. And if you look at the crossover standings, Calgary's currently tied on four wins with Hamilton. So remember, the fourth-place team in the West Division, to make the playoffs in the East, they need to be ahead on points. Both are at eight currently. Stamps and Ticats will have their only meeting of the year in Hamilton at the end of September. Two members of the Calgary Stampeders that were late ads to this group were Mark and Michelle and Mark Keith Ambles. Both have contributed since rejoining the club. Here's Jake Mayer on what he's got with Eminem. Well, they're just both proven veterans, proven professionals that uh, that have had big games in this league. So um, they have the experience and they have uh, they just have the perspective of this offense and what it's supposed to look like when it's functioning at a high level. And they have a good understanding of what their job is on every given situation, every given play. So I think the thing that stands out about them, too, is that they're so damn tough. Yeah. Like, that's one of their greatest traits for both of them is they're, they're tough as hell. And they're not afraid to catch the ball and, and break tackles and catch the ball over the middle and get hit when they're not looking. So, um, yeah, those guys, have been, uh, those guys have been a big help for us for sure. Uh, just providing a little bit. A little more toughness, a little bit more veteran leadership for us. Whether it's Mark and Michelle with a big catch over the top to really stretch the field with a big play, uh, something that the club lost with Malik Henry when he went down uh, for injury for the year, uh, or Mark Keith Ambles with a tough catch over the middle to move the chains, both have filled in admirably this year since returning to the red and white. Injuries, obviously a big talking point for this group this season, and with Thursday's session closed to the media, Coach Dickinson providing a minor update regarding some of the injuries to the secondary. Got a couple guys I think that uh, potentially can fill in and where we're still working on that. Um, do have a couple DBs on practice roster and uh, and uh, Julian Charles is training okay as well. So there are some options just to figure out what we can do. Uh, we'll get more of a clear look uh, when the injury report is released later on on Thursday, but I can say that Dedrick Mills did miss a second consecutive day of practice, so that's certainly one to monitor when depth charts are released on Friday morning. More long-term injuries to monitor would be the ones sustained by Titus Wall and Michael Griffin. Coach Dickinson mentioned on Wednesday with the boys on the big show uh, just where Titus Wall and Michael Griffin's injuries are. Certainly not to the point where I think they're done for the season. I think... Okay. One one has a little more serious injury than the other. We'll see. Um, you know, amazingly, these guys can heal and, and uh, they take care of their bodies. Uh, but uh, certainly worried that we won't be able to get them here in, in five days. Do have a bye week after that. And, uh, it is tough when you lose guys, when you lose two guys at the same position. Uh, and we've had a bunch of injuries there anyway all year. Um, I just want to give credit to Brandon Dozier, stepped in, played. You know, he can do it, but it's not like he's practiced it. And then Nick Stats came in and played safety. 
hadn't played a lot at all this year and, and, and held it together. So having those guys out there, we held it together. I know we still got to be better for this rematch, but that was a, a big loss losing those two guys. So it's good to hear that both aren't considered season ending, but for the time being, the Stamps will have to make do without Titus Wall, who's just been a rocket ship all over the defense this year, and Michael Griffin, the rookie, who's uh, really stepped up and played well in different roles uh, that he's been asked to do. So the Stampeders will ship off to Edmonton tomorrow morning before closing out week 14 in Edmonton on Saturday night. With your Stampeders report, I'm Patty Dumas. Thank you, Patty. Appreciate that. CFL week kicks off on Friday with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in Ottawa so to take on the Red Blacks. That one of importance to the Stampeders who are eyeing a crossover spot potentially in the East over one of those two teams potentially. And then, like I said, a triple header on Saturday. It starts at 11 a.m. Mountain with the Toronto Argonauts and the Montreal Alouettes. You've then got the Riders and the Blue Bombers in the Banjo Bowl at 2 o'clock. And then finally, the Stamps and the Elks kicking it off from Commonwealth Stadium at 5 o'clock in the Labor Day rematch. I want to go back to some NFL news that is breaking right now. For those of you uh, cheering for the Kansas City Chiefs or with Travis Kelsey on your fantasy team, he has been listed as out for tonight's season opener versus the Detroit Lions. Travis Kelsey out for tonight's game against the Detroit Lions, which kicks off week one of the NFL season. Jordan Schultz from the score uh, reporting that he made a strong push to play after this morning's workout, but the team did not want to risk anything with a full season of games ahead. Not expecting him to miss anything longer than this week, it sounds like, but uh, you've now got the likes of Ian Rappaport and other uh, longtime NFL insiders uh, confirming that report from Jordan Schultz. So once again, if you got him on your fantasy team, if you're a Chiefs fan, looking forward to tonight's game. Uh, no Chris Jones. Doesn't sound like they were able to figure anything out on a contract ahead of tonight. So no star defensive tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs. And no Travis Kelsey. He has been officially ruled out of tonight's game against the Detroit Lions. So Thursday night football. You're going to be missing some star power from the defending Super Bowl champions. But again, who really feels like betting against Patrick Mahomes? Feels like one of those situations that happens all the time. <laughs> Aaron Vickers of uh, Flamestock, he's there shifting his face. Yeah, I'm probably not going to do that either. Yeah, I, don't, I don't blame you, especially being in Arrowhead. You know that crowd's going to be absolutely uh, insane for tonight's game. One of the loudest buildings in the NFL. Uh, regardless of who's playing, you know they're going to be loud and excited. I'm I'm really genuinely excited for this game tonight. I think that there's uh, the obvious Kansas City storylines we've talked about throughout the day with Sean Merriman, even a bit with Adnan Verk. You know they're going to be, if they're healthy, they're going to be a team to beat. But now you're dealing with a week one injury for Travis Kelsey. You hope it's not something that bothers him throughout the season. I don't think people realize how big of a piece Chris Jones is to that defense in Kansas City. And the fact that he's not there and I think is going to be, you know, behind schedule obviously. He's missed OTAs, he's missed all of training camp. I know guys, you know, work out on their own, they've got their own fitness plans and everything. You this is another one of those classic, you know, sport clichés. You can't replicate an NFL practice with your with your buddies and your your workout partners it's just not the same 
So Chris Jones could be in great shape. I imagine he's keeping well, but is he in football shape? Is he ready to go once that contract comes down from the Kansas? And you have to. You're in a Super Bowl contending window if you're the Kansas City Chiefs. You cannot go the entire season or whatever it is, the the eight weeks that Chris Jones said he'd sit out without him being in the lineup. He had 15 and a half sacks from the defensive tackle spot last year. That is the kind of pressure that few in the NFL can provide. It means he's impacting the running game between the tackles and the fact that he can get to the quarterback 15 and a half times dealing with double teams from centers and guards. It's actually a pretty insane stat. And like I said, we had Sean Merriman, the former all-pro NFL linebacker, on with us earlier today. He he puts guys in the category of Chris Jones. There's two of them in his mind. It's Chris Jones and it's Aaron Donald. you got Aaron Donald slightly ahead of a guy like Chris Jones, but he said those are the only two guys in his mind that can create that kind of interior pressure. So that's a huge loss for the Kansas City Chiefs. I'll be curious to see who do you trust in that offense going into tonight's game if you're if you're a fantasy football player? They've got a ton of talented receivers, a ton of talented running backs, but who is going to get the ball, especially with Travis Kelsey being out? Is it going to be Sky Moore? Is it going to be Kadarius Toney? Richie James is an option there. I have no idea if any of those guys are are relied on as number ones. They seem like they have a three-headed monster at running back. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco's there. Jarek McKinnon is there. Don't forget about Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who has you know, fallen off the map in Kansas City, but was a first-round pick not all that long ago. There's plenty to go around in that offense. It's just going to be interesting to see who exactly gets the ball the most from Patrick Mahomes. And then on the other side, a lot of people buying into the Detroit Lions turnaround. I'm one of the people that thinks in a pretty weak conference, in a pretty weak division. Detroit should find themselves back in the playoff mix. I like what Dan Campbell's doing there. They've built around some really good young talent. Amon Ross St. Brown is a beast. I think Jameer Gibbs is a really, really talented running back. I don't know that I would have drafted him as high as they did, but certainly makes for an interesting combination with him and David Montgomery there now, helping out Jared Goff, who's a a serviceable NFL quarterback. They're building on defense with a pass rusher like Aiden Hutchinson. So, yeah, I I think it's going to be a big test off the bat for a team like Detroit to walk into Kansas City tonight and say, hey, we are a contender. We're a team to be taken seriously. I don't think they have to win the game, but I think if you can put the pressure on Kansas City, if you make it a close game late into the fourth quarter and stand up to the Super Bowl champs on day one of the NFL season. I think that sets a very good standard for Detroit going forward or just knock the doors off of everybody and surprise them uh, walking to Arrowhead on banner raising night in Kansas city week one with all of the eyes of the NFL on you for Thursday night football and stun the chiefs at home without Kelsey and without Chris Jones. Either way, it's a very fun way to kick off the NFL season. Can't wait to watch tonight. Uh, we'll talk all about it all tomorrow. We're going to have Ask Andy. Andy McNamara, our fantasy football guru, is going to join us on tomorrow's edition of the show. We'll get you set for the Sunday slate of games and uh, the Monday nighter coming up as well between the Bills and the Jets. So don't miss that. going to be plenty of NFL talk. Plus, of course, we're inching closer and closer towards the NHL season. The Young Stars Classic is right around the corner. 
We've got training camp for the Calgary Flames in a couple of weeks, so ton to get to. We're going to be at Vacay Brewing and Veranda Bar tomorrow. Looking forward to being out at the patio with the guys. Uh, can't wait to be there for a special edition of Sportsnet today on Friday. But for now, we will say goodbye. Thank you for listening, whether live or on the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you to my producers, Cam and Taylor, for all of their hard work today. Appreciate it as always. We'll talk to you from Veranda Brewing tomorrow. Keep it locked on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.